0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your host, co-host, and friend of the podcast, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined by my co-host, friend, and uh, technical helper monkey, Mr. Brennan Howard Thurston. And mm-hmm. we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, he is the moderator of the NJPW Reddit he is also one of the uh, authorities that we turn to in times such as this to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mr. Evan Deadly since you himself. Evan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. A little sleepy, but I'm here.
0: Yes, we uh, are cruel enough to ask you to come on the show right after. From dusk till dawn, mm-hmm. you you watched the uh, the New Japan G1 Finals from probably midnight to 6 a.m. or something. Uh, what time was the show over where you were?
1: I think it was something like six. So, uh,
0: uh, overall, uh, did you have a good time? Did you enjoy the show?
1: Yeah, I had a great time watching.
0: And uh, I know, Brandon, you also watched the show. Did you enjoy?
2: Yes, I was up. I, th- I think it started at like, 2.30 a.m., and then I, th- I think it ended here around, like, 4, 5 a.m., something like that. I don't know. I'm icing myself down. I'm, I'm caffeinating myself, and I'm going to survive the, uh, the couple hours that we're going to record here.
0: So, uh, what we are doing here is we're following up in a a conversation we had with evan um probably was almost six months ago at this point uh where we talked a lot about russell kingdom and now g1 has gone through and uh during that time we've seen a change in leadership here with harold may coming on board we've seen a new g1 strategy we've seen of course a lot of expansion opportunity here in the u.s uh evan what is your take right now on the financial and the spiritual health of of new japan today
1: I feel like we're just continuing to grow and grow. It's the biggest I've seen in a long time. I don't have the figures back into the early 2000s and the late 90s, but I get the impression that the the upward trend is just continuing and maybe accelerating.
0: And uh, I know you did a lot of uh, financials or or numbers attendance-wise about the G1 this year. Uh, Is there any kind of stats you can share about what we are seeing for G1 attendance over this last uh, 19 nights?
1: G1 attendance for the last 19 nights was the highest ever in the format of the G1 having 19 shows. It drew 91,291 fans overall. That's an average of 4,805 fans per show.
0: And what happened last year at that time?
1: It was 80,634. So that's so this year had a 13.2 percent increase over the same number of shows.
0: And uh, last year it only averaged what about 4,200 people
1: a show. Yeah, that's about right.
0: So it's it's kind of interesting to see that kind of acceleration going on there. And, and Brandon, um, mm-hmm. maybe you can talk a little bit about your kind of spreadsheet where you put together looking at the, uh, the, the attendance, but then breaking it out by location. What did you find when you looked at it by nights and by attendance? Do you
2: want to go through each city that I think is comparable? Sure. So Sapporo, which is the first night, uh, this year it was at 6,489. That's a, up 300 from last year that's a five percent increase uh then of course they ran three nights at Corkun hall and i i guess they just sell out cork hall so these numbers across the board are all similar from 2015 to the present uh, they're all in like the 1700 range so those are those still did well of course uh then naga naga it's nagaoka you spelled it wrong oh no nagaoka okay yeah what was i doing i, w- I was doing this like as the g1 was uh happening last night. So that, that was up uh, about 285. So th- that was 3,106, up from 2,821. That's a 10% increase in, in Nagaoka. Uh, Hamamatsu was up 22% from the last year.
0: That's it was up about, down 22%. I'm sorry, it was down
2: 22%. And uh, Nagoya was up 9%. Uh, Takamatsu is up 19%. Kagoshima was up 2%. Uh, Fukuoka up 11%. Osaka, they did two nights at Osaka uh, this year, usually just doing one night at Osaka in 2017, 16, and 15. Uh, but I guess those are sellouts, so n- not much difference there, a 0% difference. Yokohama up 4%. And uh, I'm, I'm comparing the, th- the three nights at the Budokan to the three nights at the uh, Sumo Hall. Of course, the Budokan is a bigger venue and that's kind of the idea, right? As they were going to a, a, a bigger venue in the Budokan than they than they are at the Sumo Hall. Suma Hall is like 10,000 seats. Budokan, I, they sold it out at, with 12,000. So uh, the first night was was actually down compared to the first night last year in the Sumo Hall, down 18%. Uh, the second night, though, up 58%. And the third night, up
0: 18%. And when you say the first night and the second night, that's really, what, the A Block Finals and the B Block Finals? Right, it's not technically
2: the final, but it the, the way that or the G one climax has worked out. It, it, it's always the crucial determine. You know, it's the match that determines who's going to be in the finals. But it's yeah. it's still the. And what I
0: mean by that is, it, you could also argue perhaps the strength of the block would have some impact on whether first night or second night would be more popular.
2: Yeah, could I guess the, the main event it should probably be considered too. And uh, the think Evan the the day of the week matters there too.
1: That's correct. We. As long as they've been doing a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday show at Sumo Hall and now at Budokan, the Friday show always does worse than the Saturday show, mm-hmm. probably because of people working, possibly also because of the strength of the block just happens to turn out that way. Mm-hmm. I personally think it's more of the working.
2: Yeah, and in A block main event was on, on that night was who again?
1: Tanahashi versus Okada.
2: Tanahashi versus Okada, that's right. And then the second night was Ibushi and Omega.
0: So that's an interesting one because y- you might you might not expect to hear that Obuchi that Omega would outdraw Tanahashi Okada by that much, almost two to one, right? Because it was 12,000 uh, for night two and only 6,180 for night one.
1: I personally think it wasn't as much of a shock as some people thought it was. It's a big match that hasn't been done in a long time. It's very fresh. I can imagine people really flocking to see that, whereas Tanahashi versus Okada... Yes, it's a big match, but it's a big match that's happened a lot of times. It's not rare. Maybe that's why I did worse. The last Good time
2: thing. Ibushi and, and Omega happened as a singles match was in DDT, right? In the Budokan itself, right? Was that like 2012? Am I
0: getting that right? I don't know the the date, but that's probably probably accurate, that it's been a long, long time since they've had a singles match against each other, um, and of course never in New Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so... With, with this uh kind of culmination uh we're gonna talk spoilers for a second here uh tanahashi winning in the finals uh was that a surprise to you Evan
1: i could say that i did not expect it so i was surprised
0: and abushi uh, going to the finals was he he the person that you had kind of um, picked from the outset or during the the tournament that was going to be the top
1: i didn't like to make predictions but i was actually i thought it was fairly likely that he would make the final
0: and and do you know anything about the contract status with Ibushi? Someone uh, wrote I know on Figure Four that he's not contracted technically to New Japan or doesn't have a New Japan long term contract. I don't know whether that's true or not. But uh, do you have any idea?
1: I have no personal knowledge. The only thing that I can take from is that when they have the wrestlers, um, they have a wrestler versus another wrestler. They have like a listing of what they're affiliated with at the bottom. Tanahashi says NJPW. Ibushi says free presumably meaning freelancer Hmm.
0: and I've heard that he has
2: a a dual contract to to work both DDT and New Japan right and he's Ibushi will appear on basically anything that's that's televised for New Japan I think you can correct me if I'm wrong and but he he doesn't appear on like the non-televised events I
1: would I don't think he has a dual contract anymore he did back in 2014 2015 but as of now he doesn't really work anywhere that's not New Japan or New Japan affiliate okay
0: so o- overall, um, you know, what, do you, what is your take on Tanahashi standing with the company and Okada standing with the company? Because uh, we're coming out of this and it's kind of interesting to see kind of the rise of, of Tanahashi once again and Okada kind of in the middle, right? Uh, though looking like he might might be starting some big programs here. Uh, what, what was your thoughts on this coming out of the, the tournament?
1: Well, I figured after a two-year-long title reign, It was about time to put Okada in a backseat role. You don't want to burn the audience out. Some would argue they've already burned out, but I don't really think so. There are important other things for him to do. He can wait to have the title again or be involved in a title program. Tanahashi, meanwhile, has been kind of taking a backseat. Some people think his time at the top is done. I personally thought that he'd probably have another run sometime soon. And it seems like now, maybe that will happen again. He's not done. He's not a New Japan dad as someone like to call him. He can still go at the very top. <laughs> and he's still probably one of the most he's probably the most favorably responded to person in the company. Other than maybe Naito. Maybe Naito included. So I don't think it's a particularly big surprise that he's going to be thrust again into the main event picture, likely main eventing the Tokyo Dome once more. He's a proven draw. They can they can do with him what they want. And versus Omega is a big match that hasn't happened since early 2016.
0: And and as far as we can tell, that's the only time that's ever happened. Is they've only had one singles match against each other. Was that uh, the IWGP Intercontinental Title match?
1: Correct. And you know, some people said that they were the original plan was for them to have a rematch for the latter match. It was at Dominion, but then Tanahashi got hurt and Michael Elgin replaced him. So some people argued that that match not happening kind of brought down Kenny's status as a potential main eventer. And it was only after the G1 climax that people started really seeing him that way.
0: What was, uh, what was your take on, on this year's tournament versus last year's tournament? Last year's tournament got a lot of praise, uh, from the likes of, uh, of Dave Meltzer about just the incredible star ratings and the the quality of the tournament. Do you think this year, um, met exceeded or was below last year's quality?
1: I don't think most people would argue that it exceeded it. I don't know if it was below, but I wouldn't say it was far behind. I had a worse vantage point because I like to watch wrestling live. In 2016 and 17, I watched the entire G1, all 19 shows live, which is hell. (laughs) And this year, real life got in the way, and I couldn't do that again. Watching live always adds something for me. So I can't tell you if the matches were worse or if I liked them less. Because I wasn't watching live and reacting in real time with everyone, which for me is one of the great things about wrestling and adds to my enjoyment a lot. So I can't Uh, say if it's better or worse either way. I wouldn't say it's much worse.
0: But it was probably a comparable year in terms of they were both very good years for the tournament.
1: Yes, I would say that. The B block was really stacked this year with great workers and they had the majority of the great matches. I was probably one of the higher people on A block give A block a chance.
0: Do you you think anybody kind of built a rep for themselves or or kind of exceeded what others thought they might be doing here and uh, outperformed kind of what was slated for them or expected of them?
1: I think everybody who was great was expected to be great. I think the two people who stood out the most to most people were uh, were, uh, Kota Ibushi and Tomohiro Ishii, and everybody knows how great they are. It's no surprise they were going out day in and day out and having great matches with everyone. I've seen mixed re- mixed reviews on the two new participants, Jay White and Hangman Page. Some people think they didn't do that great, and some people think they really impressed. So hard for me to tell. I think they were both good, and I'd like to see them again.
0: So, how many months are we into the Harold May regime? How when, when did he take over? January?
1: No, he took over. I think June.
0: June. Okay. What am I saying? January, June. So this is—we're we're barely a quarter in to the the time of, of kind of Harold's leadership here. Um,
2: Harold made an appearance last night too.
0: Oh, oh he did. What yes. did he uh, again uh, give a speech to the audience?
2: No, he was—he uh, was involved in. It was kind of an angle, right, Evan, between uh, with uh, with the Tongans, right, in the Young Bucks match,
1: right? The Bullet Club OG, as they refer to themselves decided to impromptu ask for a Never a Trio's title shot. The match was not originally scheduled to be defending the titles with the Young Bucks and Marty Scurll, but they asked for it, and Harold, with his infinite godly power, decided to, you know, honor their wishes.
0: And we've done a little bit of poking around about Harold as a leader. I did a show about it where I read all the articles I could find about his time at... Um Uh, the toy company he worked for and some of the other beverage companies he worked with. And do you have any impressions of him as a leader here in terms of, um, you know, what his style is and how it might contrast with maybe a more conservative Japanese leader uh, in the past?
1: Well, it certainly seems like he loves to get involved in multiple ways. Obviously we saw him last night being on the show and some people would say that's a bad thing. Some people, they get like a Pavlovian response to seeing an executive being on a wrestling show because of WWE. Mm-hmm. And,
0: oh, and TNA and every other company that has done it to death. And,
2: and Kidani has never done anything like this before, right?
1: He has done brief moments of it. Like mm-hmm. he, at the Dominion 2016 show when he was sitting ringside and Naito kind of looked at him. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really any direct involvement besides them just staring at each other meanly. And they've had um, uh press conference sort of things when Kidani was there and he'd interact with Naito. It seemed like he was only around when Naito was also around.
2: Mm-hmm. And we're, we're talking about Takaki Kidani, who is the president of Bushi Road, right? which was the parent company of New Japan.
1: He's the chairman of Bushi Road, to my knowledge. Okay.
0: So uh, Harold kind of coming in here as the new leader, do you think um, the U.S. expansion, it, it seems like he's getting really involved with kind of pushing the U.S. expansion harder. Uh, and, and, of course, we heard a whole host of shows that they were announcing for the next time they're coming to the U.S. And, and I feel like Harold is, is getting more involved in being proactive about the way New Japan is being perceived abroad as well uh, because of the, uh, the decisions he recently made around swearing and choking of fans and things like that. Correct?
1: Uh, before I answer, I just want to correct myself. He's the president of Road and he founded the company. Um, I think he's taking a more proactive approach. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's been at lots of shows handing out little stickers that say thank you for being an awesome New Japan fan. It seems like he really wants to be interactive with the fans more so than any of the, of the other leaders I've seen recently. And the thing about the swearing and the holding up the middle finger, that wasn't like a decree so much as something he passive-aggressively said that he wanted to happen. It's not like people interpreted it as, oh, they're banned now. It's not banned. It's just a direction that he wants to take it, a more broadcaster-friendly approach.
0: But you could argue that that kind of acknowledgement of saying, you know, this looks bad for my company. I should should push them in a certain direction on this. It does seem a little bit more thinking about the worldwide broadcast audience than maybe just the specific japanese marketplace where maybe it would not be as such a big deal
1: absolutely as far as i'm aware english cursing doesn't seem to be a problem at all for the japanese audience
0: and uh we we saw uh the debut of a new english commentator uh with the g1 here correct
1: correct chris charlton reason jp
0: yeah that was a real big surprise for me so uh if if anybody out there hasn't heard of Chris before. He's written uh some really amazing books about New Japan. One's called I think Lion's Pride. Uh he has a new one called Eggshells which is about the history of the Tokyo Dome and all the wrestling companies that have run that. Um and he's a real active Twitter user and he's obviously an active writer. He does he speaks Japanese and reads Japanese and so his books are great because they have a lot of insight from Japanese sources. So it's not just the same translated interviews, it's actually him quoting you know people's uh, articles and biographies and whatnot and uh, I, I thought that was really exciting to see a, a name and a person like that coming on do you know anything about the background of him getting hired to do that
1: i have no knowledge of how that all happened but i was really happy to see it
0: yeah i yeah, I, I,
2: I came to know uh, chris charlton not like on twitter because he would always be tweeting out like translations of what people were saying in japanese whether it was on commentary or in the the post mic appeal you know he'd be translating that and that was you know that's always very informative
0: yeah. And, and you know, I don't know whether to connect it to Harold May, but I, I connect it to the idea that this is one of the first times I've seen, you know, kind of this understanding and acknowledgement of the online presence that supports New Japan in English-speaking regions and connecting that with their, with their kind of expansion uh, desires and the techniques that they're using. And so I think a lot of people would say, Chris is a great guy to do something like this. You, you never know if someone is going to translate from being a online personality to a straight-up commentator. But um, I, I think from the standpoint that we said a lot, which is you want someone who speaks Japanese who's their ringside so that you can understand exactly what's happening. Yeah. And, 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 and he's somebody who, a detriment.
2: who understands the product and he has a great understanding of the history. Like he's literally written books on it.
0: So... Um, what What is your take, Evan, on how the U.S. expansion for New Japan is going? Where do you think they're doing well, and where do you think that they're maybe hitting some, some stumbling blocks?
1: I could talk a lot about this. I've been critical of New Japan for not being more interactive with their online fan base, which is pretty large at this point. My subreddit alone has almost 25,000 members at the time of recording. And they really could do a lot with cultivating and uh, receiving fan opinions on the product, but they don't really seem to be reaching out to fans as much. This with Chris was the first example of them really doing anything like that, and I really hope I see more of it. Um, As far as the shows go, obviously they have the talent. I think one thing that's being done wrong is in terms of the live events taking place in the United States. They've been going back to California every time. It's kind of a pat hand for them. Probably because of traveling logistically, and it's less expensive to transport things and transport people from Japan to California as it's the closest state. But I think that geographically they need to start moving out for further into the country. Obviously, we saw, which we'll talk about more later, the G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden. part of that sold out just because it's the first Madison Square Garden show run by any company, and that's not WWE in many decades. But I think it shows that there's probably a lot of fans of New Japan on the East Coast as well. And it might be short-term less lucrative for them to do so, but they can cultivate a large following out here too if they so want to. Another thing they've done wrong is they haven't made the shows as noteworthy as they used to. G One Special in USA in July two thousand seventeen was big as the first show, first shows ever in the United States. Not counting maybe that tour with Jersey All Pro Wrestling back in two thousand eleven, and those did great. And in terms of critical critical reception, were probably the best received of any shows done in America to this point that New Japan has done. Strong Style Evolved was another important show because it was in a bigger building, over four thousand fans. And some people were skeptical that they draw that, but they had no issue drawing that. G1 special in Cow Palace. Big because it's a big venue. Attendance didn't do great, but apparently was the highest gate in the history of the Cow Palace, so that can also be seen as a plus, even if it wasn't a sellout. Lots of fans love to see the word sellout and think anything less is a failure. Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Ticket sales are doing okay, in the Walter Pyramid, which has the same venue as Strong Evolved. They're higher than they were before, the ticket prices, but it wasn't a sellout within several hours like it was back then. Some people think momentum is stalling. I personally think it's just a natural progression, but they could do more to promote the shows. They haven't been promoted heavily enough, and maybe that's why they're not not selling out so quickly. I also think they need to be less careful with doing big matches in America. Some people have been critical with not stacking the cards more. That's what they want to see. So I think that if they do that, if they're willing to give more big matches to the American audience, they'll definitely succeed in terms of live events.
0: Do you think they, in, in uh, the U.S., they're able to rely on a local audience? Or do you think they're still mainly relying on basically aggregating the whole U.S. population, trying to get them to travel for the shows?
1: I really can't be sure. I don't have the numbers. I think that in major metropolitan areas, the local audience is enough to support them. But if they try going out of their way, they might have to rely on fly-ins more. I definitely think they could get a big crowd in Chicago or you know, New York City with just local fans.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you there. What what about, um, didn't Harold announce that he was going to kind of do like a Young lion show here in the U.S.?
1: Yes, I believe it's called Lions Break. It's taking place at the Anaheim Convention. I don't know the date off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm just wondering with a strategy like that, like whether that's going to be the, the, the dojo talent that they have in California or whether they would actually be bringing over, you know, the young lions from Japan. And it, it's an interesting choice on my part because I feel like it, it does run the risk that you might be diluting your brand a little bit by, you know, it's kind of like promoting – going to a country and you're going to promote one WWE show, and then you're going to bring NXT or not even NXT, you know, the, the feeder says a progress or revolve or something. It's, it's a much lower level of what you're bringing. And so I just wonder if for the fragile stability that new Japan has in the United States, I'm surprised to hear that they're doing some young lion shows. Were you surprised to hear that?
1: It surprised me. I definitely didn't see it coming. I think that I don't, it's at the convention center, But I don't know what kind of capacity they'll be working with, and I don't know again the talent that they're using. Will there be regular stars on there also? Will it be just a young lion show? And where where will the young lions be coming from? Some people were making jokes on Twitter I saw about how the uh, dojo camps at the Los Angeles dojo that they've been having they think that they're just you know they're not actually planning on doing much with the talent. They just want your money because they're charging like five hundred dollars for a five day camp and. Some people think that it won't lead to anything for the wrestlers, but apparently that hasn't been the case. I think that just because you're assigned to the dojo and you're training there full time now, which some people who did those camps may be at this point, it doesn't mean you're a new Japan pro wrestling star as it were. And they may not be able to attract to you as easily as they attracted the stars that they already know. So we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point is that the, the positioning of the la dojo is going to make a is going to tell a lot about the way that they actually are thinking about the u.s expansion because arguably some of the non-japanese wrestlers are key elements of the u.s expansion the kenny omegas of the world and the juice robinsons in addition you need the japanese talent because you're selling new japan as a product but the pipeline that you're creating here it's going to say a lot if they treat all those people like their secondary uh, stars, much like they kind of did the last time they had a, a dojo in L.A. And it will also say a lot about you know how they're being perceived in terms of the opportunity that they're creating in the U.S. Because there's a lot of talent that they probably can get their hands on a that will never go to Japan and maybe that's okay for them but if they want to keep thinking internationally much like wwe has to think internationally in their recruiting strategy you really do have to show that there's a pathway to success for some of these people um i'm curious is shibata still the lead trainer in the la dojo
1: to my knowledge yes he is
0: okay and that was exciting of course seeing shibata on uh, the show last night uh i know you were you were tweeting and commenting that you you barely had it in you to to not respond to people asking who the heck is shibata on, uh, on your Reddit page. Uh, do, do you think that speaks to kind of the influx of new fans that are coming and watching New Japan today? That even a guy like Shibata is already kind of a distant memory for some people.
1: Yeah, it is It is showing that new fans are coming in all the time. It was kind of sad to see that, but I'm happy about it at the same time. Similar to where way that at least once a month maybe, I'll see on my New Japan subreddit, hey, What happens if the IWGP heavyweight champion wins the G1 Climax? And it's annoying to answer because we don't have a good answer, but it shows that there's someone new who's learning all the time. And as long as people keep asking that, I'll know that there's new fans of the product with questions to ask. That's a good thing, even if they're annoying.
0: Absolutely. Um, What about new stars? Uh, We saw at least, you know, kind of one young lion kind of making his ascension to the... uh, uh, main show yesterday with uh, I know I'm going to butcher his name was it uh, Ayato Yoshida?
1: Ayato Yoshida is correct, but he's not a young lion.
0: Okay, so he was K dojo. What is K dojo? Help me out.
1: Kayantai Dojo is Michinoku's promotion. It's okay. a small promotion.
0: I, I was going to say that's the only K dojo I know of, so I was surprised to hear that K dojo guy was on there, and and there was other like New Japan guys that weren't. Uh, what are some stars in your mind that are kind of um, guys to look out for in New Japan? And I know your favorite wrestler appears to have uh, fallen off New Japan uh, altogether, even. So maybe we can talk about that as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I really miss him.
0: And, and specifically, we're talking about what, uh, Ketsuya Kitamura?
1: Kitamura, yes.
0: Kitamura. Uh, and and he was the super muscular guy that everyone used to see on the New Japan shows, the Young Lions,
1: right? Correct. And what happened to him? To my knowledge and to everybody's knowledge, which I guess is not that great because nobody's really talking about it and nobody's really said anything, you know, concrete about it. He got a pretty bad concussion and he's been out for, I think, almost, I think maybe five months now. But I hold out faith that he will come back because his picture is still on the New Japan roster page.
0: So. That is good. And Absence, who is the new kind of stars to watch or are guys that you think have, have a lot of potential that uh, maybe a year or two from now or five years from now we'll be talking about?
1: Well, we can talk about the two guys on Excursion, Hirai Kawato and Tomoyuki Oka, who are in CMLL and RevPro um, respectively. Right now, the top young lion in terms of seniority is Shota Umino, despite being only 21 years old. And he seems to have a lot of things that they're looking for. He's a good athlete. He has a good look, good size. I could see him definitely becoming a big player in the future as far as young lions go.
0: What What is your take on the ascent of, of Switchblade, Jay White, uh, in the last year here? Do you think? Um, what, what do you think of the character and uh, the reception of the character?
1: I think at first, people thought it was kind of awkward that it didn't really fit him, that he was better suited as a babyface. And at the, at during the early stages, like back when he first came back, I was unsure of it also. He seemed kind of uncomfortable in this role. But I think over the last nine months or so, we've seen him become more and more accustomed to that persona. And he's really learned to own it. His in-ring work is getting there. He hasn't had like a match of the year yet. And some people like to make wrestling all about that, even though it isn't. But I think he'll really, I think he'll get there. I think there's time for him. He's very young. And he's a star in the making, to be sure.
0: And what is your thoughts on on Juice Robinson's transformation over the, you know, kind of from the beginning of his time in New Japan to now?
1: Well, now that he can't cuss anymore, he's dead in the water.
0: (laughs) You think think that even though he apologizes every time he cusses?
1: He's working on it. (laughs) Juice's growth has been great to see. I'm really happy for him. Especially when he said that he's never going back to WWE. That made me smile. I really hope that they go as far far with him as he can. Can he be a main eventer? In his current state, I think no. But people grow and change all the time. So.
0: And uh, who who are you growing tired of in New Japan that you would either like to see... You know, either take an excursion or just go work for other
1: companies. Getting tired of. um, I'm not sure I have a good answer. I'd say most of the members of Bullet Club OG aren't that great. They're fun and some people enjoy them, but they don't really do it for me. What were what are your you...
0: thoughts of kind of investing in them as as a top heel faction? Do you think that was a uh, a a move that will prove to be a smart move, or do you think it's just gonna fizzle out quickly? How what's the reception yeah. to that? And, and if
2: I could add to that, what, what do you think of uh, Tomatonga doing all these DQ finishes, all this interference, and it seems like an attempt to get heat? Is it is it the right kind of heat?
1: I think it's an attempt to get heat, but I don't think Tama Tonga is someone who can really keep the heat onto him. Because it seems like no matter what he does, his reception upon entrance is pretty minute. And because right now it seems like the top, the leader, if there is a leader, of that faction is either Tamatonga Tonga or Bad Luck Fale. And they both have good traits to them, but I don't think that either of them is at the level of you know, the the faction leaders in the rest of New Japan. Suzuki, Okada, Naito, Tanahashi, Kenny Omega. I don't think they're at the level of those five guys. So they might have to find someone else if they really want to grow this unit and make it a long-term thing that's successful.
0: And I, I was talking to Brandon about this briefly. Can you explain Okada and the
1: balloon? I have no words about that. Okada has fallen off the deep end. And now, he's, and now he's parted with his manager also. Who knows what's next for him. But at least he has his coat back.
0: <laughs> at least he has the coat back. Um, next, next thing I want to touch on is, is what is your take on the relationship between Ring of Honor and New Japan? Uh, is Ring of Honor delivering anything to that relationship on the New Japan side in Japan? Let's start off there.
1: Every day, I find myself more and more leaning towards not really. By far, at least in terms of their domestic product, Ring of Honor would suffer much more heavily than New Japan if they were to part ways and not use each other's talents anymore. I think that at this point, New Japan benefits from Ring of Honor almost solely from the promotion capabilities that they have in America, which, while not exceptional are more ingrained than New Japan's and more consistent than New Japan's? New I, Japan. I never
0: think they could have ran MSG without Ring of Honor being involved. I just don't see them being able to put all the pieces together otherwise. Mm-hmm.
1: In terms of logistics or in terms of, like, being able maybe able to make the show a success?
0: Uh, getting, getting their foot in the door.
1: You it's, could say that. I can't be sure, but I would say that Ring of Honor definitely helped with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's their value now, helping New Japan get in and usurp them.
0: With that said, do you think they'll come a day with this new leadership? I, I mean, this is one of these examples where I say under Japanese leadership, I might have seen blank. Under Harold May's kind of global leadership, it might be different where I, I could see a, a Japanese leader being stubborn to the end saying this is the person I've made a deal with. I work with these people if they don't cross me versus a new leader today might say, you know what, this really doesn't benefit me that much. I might cut ties with, with Ring of Honor at some point. Do you, do you get a feel one way or the other, or am I just reading that out of the clouds?
1: Well, Harold hasn't been around long enough for me to really see what his game plan is. He's only made vague allusions to it so far. But he, when he was with Takara Tomi, the toy company, he talked about how, as a leader... I'm much less risk averse than most Japanese executives are and I'm going to do things with the company that most of them would think are too far. So, I don't know how much power he has if he can unilaterally make a decision to cut out Ring of Honor, I I wouldn't think that's, you know, only up to him, but I suppose that if he sees it as no longer being helpful, he might do that, but I think just I think just keeping Ring of Honor around doesn't really do any harm. The only harm I suppose it does is make wrestlers fly to America to do shows which makes them tired but well,
0: I, yeah I, I agree with you on that I, I would tell the other thing he worked on is he basically inherited a company that was was stagnating and getting a lot of debt and he did a lot of cost cutting and restructuring going on at the same time too from what I've read and he also empowered a lot of the younger people in the company to bring forward ideas in what was you know usually much more of that top-down older generation type thinking and th- those were the two elements that really stuck out to me when I thought about New Japan. Um, what we talk about on the premium show, uh, it was plug, go to RussellMamos.com, sign up, become a patron, $5 a month. We go through the New Japan balance sheet that we came across for 2007 through 2017, uh, looking at their assets and liabilities and kind of showing how under Bushi Road now they've really expanded a lot on their current um current assets and, and also turned around their net income numbers for several years. So if you want to see that, check that out on the, the premium show. Cheap plug. Um, but like we're saying with uh, uh, this leadership style here, it is hard to, to know what Harold is. And I think it's the sort of thing where he's this blank slate. And I think everyone who has their own secret desires, they can impress upon them as if that's Harold's wish. Uh, and we don't really know what that is. So I, I'm looking forward more to maybe learning more About his thinking. I would say one thing I've really appreciated, and I was wondering if you've noticed this, is just the increase in subtitled English content that's been available in the last
1: few months here with New Japan. Yeah, it's a great thing. Mm -hmm. I can't even consume all of it.
0: And the other thing with Ring of Honor, the only thing I wonder is, does it sometimes dilute the importance of some of their wrestlers in the American marketplace when they're appearing on these Ring of Honor shows? That it's not a big deal to see Tanahashi in New York if you're going to see him on the Ring of Honor World World Show or something like that.
1: I think we've reached a point where being on Ring of Honor isn't really spotlighting New Japan wrestlers anymore. It's not like, oh, here are these people who have never seen or heard of you before. Maybe it was like that in 2014, but now it's not like that. And everybody who goes to Ring of Honor knows who these guys are now. They're not really growing their audience, I don't think so. I don't think so much by being on there. I think it's just like a payday, and it helps give the wrestlers something to do when there's time in between tours.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree with. In, in the beginning, like it, as Evan said, in like about 2014, it was Ring of Honor really served as an introduction to a lot of American fans or Western fans to all these New Japan stars. And it's, it's, we're getting to the point with New Japan running so many shows in, in the U.S. that, you know, I think a lot of fans are just directly familiar with New Japan far more than they were before. So.
0: And I just wonder if, you know, New Japan runs about 175 shows a year from what I was counting when I looked at, at the numbers, which is not far off for what you know a a full-time promotion is if a guy's working all those matches now obviously you have guys like kenny omega who only work certain tours and and whatnot so that does give you some opportunity but you do have the top guys in new japan working 150 plus times a year already so it just seems like that going back and forth to the us does seem like a lot of wear and tear on the body um but it's working for them and it'll be curious to see you know how long that Ring of Honor relationship works, and I think this MSG show could be one of those make-or-break moments, you know, where that's the sort of thing where you can both succeed greatly or you can end up having some real problems and a lot of finger-pointing at the end of it. Uh, Were you surprised by the MSG announcement, and were you surprised at how quickly the tickets went?
1: It came out of nowhere for me. I was really happy to see that. It It was a big surprise, and the first thing I thought when I saw that is number one, great, and number two... I should go, but uh, it seems like that will not be happening because the tickets went too quickly.
0: Well, there's obviously a lot of tickets on the secondary marketplace, though. You you could be purchasing from that, correct?
1: I suppose, but, you know, I've never gone to a wrestling show at all before, so we'll see what happens. Fair Um, enough. I was surprised to see the tickets sold so quickly. I thought it would happen maybe more slowly. Maybe it would take until once they started announcing matches. Maybe the, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing because, you know, the, the old argument when a wrestling promotion sells out a show before they've announced any matches, and then the card isn't that blow away. Well, you should have waited for the matches. Now they don't have to put any good matches on because they're sold out already. We'll see if that happens. I don't think that's going to happen because it's such a big show, and it's running up against the NXT show that's the day before WrestleMania. I think they'll want to stack it as much as they can. So I don't think that's an issue. And and,
0: and, and really having excited. been yeah, having been to WrestleMania a, a few times now, I can just say there's such a large amount of pent up demand right before WrestleMania that you can really capitalize on a lot of different ways. Now not normally on the scale of ten thousand people but I think they really are, are hitting it hard because they have such a strong marketplace to go to. They're going to such a recognizable arena. This isn't like a lot of the other shows where you're going to have to travel 45 minutes to an hour outside of town to go to wherever this other big show is being held. Uh, so I think it's it's really exciting for um, Ring of Honor and for New Japan to, to kind of score such a huge coup uh, by getting the show done and the first show in you know 50 plus years to do it. And the fact that WWE kind of swung in a miss on their legal challenges to this like obviously they're pressuring msg pretty hard not to do it but new, uh, but they did not come to msg and say hey we'll run this show this is why you shouldn't do it which is i think what msg secretly wanted and so in the end they had no reason not to honor the agreement that they had made with ring of honor to do it so uh kudos to them for really pulling off a big coup and to me that's a that's probably the biggest feather in the cap for for sinclair and ring of honor is, is getting that show going and making it work. Though I do not think they could sell it out. What do you think? Do you think they could have sold it out if it didn't have the New Japan talent on it?
1: Very unlikely, I would say. Maybe impossible.
0: Speaking of New Japan talent, um, you gave a list at one point of, of kind of some of the top talent. What would you say if you had to do kind of a the, the most important people to New Japan today in, in terms of talent? Maybe the top five people. Who would they be?
1: The top five most important people,
0: in, in in terms of wrestling talent,
1: I would say it would be the top four: Okada, Omega, Naito, Tanahashi. A fifth one is more difficult. I suppose it's Ibushi, because Suzuki is getting up there in age; he's fifty years old, maybe fifty-one. I I don't, I don't remember exactly, and he's his future. Although he's still great and can be great, his future is not very long at this point. So I'd say Ibushi, as someone who's in their mid-30s, isn't terribly young, but isn't very old either, and someone they can rely on to put on great matches, and who is a star. He's probably their number five talent.
0: And when you when you list those people for me, um, three of them are kind of New Japan diehards. I, I expect them to be with New Japan for years. But neither Kenny Omega or Ibushi have necessarily long term commitments with New Japan uh, do you see Kenny Omega in New Japan a year from now
1: yes I think that he could leave but I feel like he th- actually I'm not, I'm I'm un- uncomfortable about giving an answer because I I, re- I think it could go either way I feel like most people in his spot would say that they have a really good thing going and they're not going to risk it but maybe he'll go maybe he's going to risk it I don't know if he's, if he's that type of guy I could see him leaving. I found it very interesting when I saw that he, unlike Tanahashi and Naito and Okada, was not advertised for the Madison Square Garden show right away. So maybe they think that he'll leave. Maybe it's just, you know, playing it safe because he could leave and they don't want to advertise someone who ends up not being able to work the show. So I'm really unsure. but The, the impression I've...
0: I've- heard it and I'm curious if you've heard it do you think people just assume that he's going to be at the MSG show even if they don't advertise him just because of course he's on all the big shows
1: well if he's with New Japan of course he'll be on the show some people think that he'll leave and that maybe clouds their judgment about going to the show or not some people maybe some WWE diehards they just think he'll leave every year every year it comes around is he going to leave this year I think he's going to leave this year And then he doesn't leave. Maybe he'll leave this year, and then he doesn't leave. So,
0: What's your take on the role of, say, Chris Jericho in New Japan? It sounds like he still has some outstanding matches on his contract with them.
1: Well, there was a tease. After he won the Intercontinental Championship, Naito's uh, partner Evil came down and kind of tried to attack him. They teased a confrontation. Jericho has not been seen since Dominion, so over two months now. And I don't have his schedule on hand, but he probably won't be around for another while yet. So we'll see if he comes back. I expect him to work another Dome show, but I don't really know what like he'll do. Like a doing Kingdom type thing? Of course. That's what I meant.
0: So with that, you and I had a conversation a few months ago where we talked about what are the opportunities for New Japan to kind of expand Wrestle mm-hmm. Kingdom accessibility to international attendees. And um, I was kind of curious, have you heard about any other initiatives or ideas about how they might make Wrestle Kingdom more accessible to people who want to travel over there and see the show this year.
1: No, I haven't really heard anything about that yet. Wrestle Kingdom tickets usually go on sale in October though, so I wouldn't have expected to hear anything about that at this point. So, we'll see.
0: And, and that will probably be for me a big litmus test for for Harold May's kind of reign here to understand. He he seems like he's very focused on trying to make New Japan more accessible to English-speaking audiences. And, you know, I just literally last week was at the Soda Festival that I talked about on on the show and uh, we ran into a couple there and my wife knew them from grad school. And the first thing they said to us is, oh, you guys were at WrestleMania. We're going to go to Wrestle Kingdom next year. Wow. <laughs> and they were just talking about how excited they were about doing that. And like it just blew me away because I think it's something that people want to do. And I think they're intimidated by the complexity of the Japanese wrestling system, in terms of how tickets are sold and and getting hotels and travel and whatnot. And there's still a lot that can be done to make it a lot easier for people who want to go. And we've seen on the flip side, WrestleMania has done a good job marketing itself to international audiences and offering these tour packages. And I'm just saying, I I hope Wrestle Kingdom really expands what they do with that, and that they don't also kind of treat those people like second class citizens by giving them lousy tickets every year.
1: Yeah. so. Last year, well, this year, actually, technically, with Wrestle Kingdom 12, tickets started going on sale for the New Japan Fan Club in September. So, since we're about a month behind that at this point, maybe we'll start seeing some details about that soon. The travel packages last year, they were a start, but they were kind of lackluster. The tickets, they weren't really giving access to the best tickets, partly because the New Japan Fan Club buys them all so quickly. So, before even there's a general sale, the tickets are gone for the best two or three sections. And I guess that's the way it's done. I imagine if they make if they make like the royal seats, the ringside seats which there's only like probably a few hundred of, accessible to, you know, non-Japanese fans, it'll probably be at a heavy premium. Maybe Japanese fans will feel slighted that these seats are being given away to other people that aren't them. I don't know if that's something that people will feel, but we'll see what happens.
0: And I think that's the kind of very difficult balancing that happens in any company that's expanding their fan base outside of their core base is their old fans always feel very slighted by the new fans coming in. And especially when you start doing a price premium on a a limited availability product, people get very sensitive about that and say, oh, this isn't fair because five years ago I was here and you only charged me this and now you're charging me that and that's not fair. But the reality is it's a marketplace and you have to meet the needs of that marketplace. And especially a lot of those hardcore fans, you you retain them. It's the casual fans or the lapsed fans or or whatnot that are going to make a big difference. Uh, As you've looked at New Japan attendance throughout the year, would you say beyond just G1, New Japan is up year over year?
1: I would say so, yes. Do you have an
0: approximate percentage?
1: Well, if we go for before G1, let's say we go to the first half of the year. January through June so in 2018 I'm doing the math here from January through June 2018 they drew 224,007 fans over 92 shows over 94 92 92 shows
0: so that's about 2400 people a show
1: okay so now we'll go to the previous year 2017 First six months, 218,693. Over 96 shows. Oh, whoops, my mistake. 83 shows. So,
0: looks like it might be a little bit higher, 2,600, but it's a case where they're getting more people. You know, they ran nine more shows and they drew, drew a larger aggregate number of people. But but possibly show to show it might be down. And again, this it's always going to be very driven by how many Kirk and Hall shows do you run during the year, uh, because that has a real limited venue, and then what other what's the mix of towns you're going to? And then also does this include any Young Lion shows or not?
1: So in terms of regular in terms of total attendance, it was up twenty three point eight percent for the first six months of the year. So that's pretty significant growth.
0: It is, but they ran you know, they ran ten percent more shows, eleven percent more shows. So on, on a per show basis, it's it's probably flat or down. It's not down. Definitely not. So, it it sounds like they're it sounds like they're doing the healthy thing, which is being able to run more shows, so you keep the guys more busy, being able to maintain the attendance that they have, and then also being able to merchandise uh, the shows even more. And, and merchandise has been a huge thing with with kind of the explosion of Bullet Club merchandise here in the United States and and selling at Hot Topic and whatnot. Uh, do do you think the Bullet Club boom maybe has run its course, or do you think there's still kind of some life left in the whole idea of the Bullet Club?
1: I'll check Pro Wrestling T's sales rankings right now and answer that question for you.
0: There we go. That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I I do think when we go to this All In show in uh, uh, September, it is going to be like the Bullet Club presents All In. Wouldn't you agree, Brandon?
2: Yeah, I I think a lot of what is making that, that show have the buzz that it had to sell it out is, are the stars who are some of the, the top stars to a U.S. market who are members of the bullet club. That'd be Kenny Omega, the young bucks and Cody who are obviously like Cody and and the young bucks are the, the the two main parties that are behind this show as far as
1: promoting it. Absolutely. Um, so I'm on the, uh, the top sellers for the past month and that their bullet club shirts. The one with the skull and the bullets and the guns. The one that came out in two thousand fourteen. It's still number six best seller for the past month. So I guess we're still going. And, and a bunch and, of the other designs are bullet club derivatives also.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I just went to the top sellers for the the year the one and yeah, you see Golden Elite, Villain Club, Bullet Club, Villain Club, Young Bucks, Bullet Club, Omega Bullet Club, Super Kick Club, Kenny the Cleaner
1: even so sorry fans who hate this design it's uh, i guess it's not going anywhere anytime soon
0: <laughs> i don't think it's going anywhere no i think it's you know honestly if if we can get anything out of these revenue sheets that would probably be the thing that would be most interesting to me is how much they've made in merchandise sales uh that you could probably tie back because i mean if if uh the observers to be believed uh brandon you you quoted it for me when what is it four hundred thousand shirts they estimated were sold at hot topic of bullet club
2: yeah, I think that's what we found. Like, was four hundred fourteen thousand, and that was as of. Do you remember what that date was? As of
0: maybe December, like from June to December or something like that. Yeah, it sounds so, about right. So at this point, they probably sold half a half a million shirts, which is is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it as kind of a a, a punk rock upstart type brand, and not something that's being being sold in kind of a WWE way.
2: And, and I'm trying so, to remember: did that number include? specific Young buck shirts and specific shirts. I imagine that included shirts. all the variations of, so, the, of so, the Bullet Club. Yeah. Villain yeah. shirts, yeah.
0: It's, it's definitely not going away anytime soon. So, uh, to the best of your ability, Evan, can you think of maybe one or two big risks for New Japan as we look at the next 12 months here?
1: What do you mean by that? Risks they can take?
0: No, oh, that, that's, that'd be fun. I was thinking more like... Um, Ways that the company's growth, which right now seems to be on a steady growth pattern and an upward trajectory, and again the balance sheet information looks very positive. Uh, what what would be the biggest risks? Where oops, this went wrong, and uh, now this is going to really injure the company's
1: relationship. Um, I suppose. Well, we've heard the thing where, you know, a while back, probably in early January two thousand seventeen. Uh, Takaki Kadani talked about running a a full-on brand in the United States with that ranch shows regularly as opposed to just flying over here every now and then to do a show or two shows and I feel like that could fail spectacularly if it happened so a full it scale,
0: full-scale promotion in the United States the investment for that could just consume so much of their attention and resources and, and actually be a, a huge money loser
1: It could backfire. I don't know if it's going to happen. I feel like once Kidani kind of stepped out of the spotlight, he seemed to stop talking about New Japan as much. So maybe that's no longer in the cards. We'll see.
0: What about uh, injuries? Um, Of course, we heard uh, we saw Hiromu Takahashi get injured. We've had the Shibata injury, the Hamna injury, a lot of other people who have been hurt here, is there a, a risk for New Japan about any particular wrestler being injured and being out for a while?
1: Well, I don't really think any particular wrestler getting injured is... Well, obviously, if if a big star get in, gets injured, it could have a negative imp- impact on attendance. I don't really... Like, someone... When you ask that question, I interpret it as, oh, is someone so reckless you think they're going to get injured soon? And I don't really think that. But obviously... New Japan goes hard, and or um, their style always seems to be on the brink of what's possible. So there's an inherent risk involved in that. Some people think it's too dangerous. I hear about it a lot. And, you know, people are getting hurt every now and then. People always get hurt. Are they getting hurt more than they should be? Maybe. Are they, are they going too hard in the ring and they're having too many shows? Possible. I feel like New Japan, they might be, in terms of the leadership, they might be bold, but I don't think they're stupid. And I think that if they see that people are getting hurt too much, they'll dial it back because it's not worth the risk. But, you know, so, last night last night we had a great match and there wasn't a whole lot of dangerous stuff to it, which is the Tanahashi trademark, but there are dangerous things happening a lot. And I guess they don't think that it's a serious enough issue yet that they have to, you know, crack down on dangerous moves.
0: Well, I mean, there was a period of time in WWE where, you know, there was a whole string of neck injuries. You had Austin, you had Benoit, you had Edge, you had a lot of top guys who ended up having to leave the business for quite some time um, because of their, their injuries that they were getting there. And, and they, they had to really change some of the style that they were doing in WWE at the time. And then there's also the period of time where you could argue, okay, when they would a guy like a John Cena would get injured – you would see a downturn in business that it was a big deal to lose a top star like that. Do you think that there's any one guy that if they lost, it would have a big detrimental effect? If they lost an Omega, if they lost an Okada, if they lost a Tanahashi, do you, do you think there's one guy that might be the most damaging of all of them? Would it be Omega because he's their title holder?
1: I feel like it could be Naito since in terms of crowd reactions, he seems to be the most popular. Would his merch sales slow down if he got hurt? Probably. So, I think losing any one person won't be a big deal. It may have an impact, but it won't be a huge one. If the, if by some negative miracle, two or more of their top stars got injured at the same time, I could see it having a pretty sub, uh, significant effect on their business for a while.
0: So you you would say this is not the case like a WWE where it's the brand that sells. This is the case where it's still... New Japan is working because of the top stars of New Japan being so representative of the popularity of the company.
1: I mean, you know, I guess you could say that's the success of what WWE has done. You can take away their top guys and they won't have that much of an impact if Tanahashi, Okada, Naito, okay. and Omega all disappeared tomorrow. I think it, you know, would be devastating. The consequences would be would be devastating. Yeah, that's a great word for it. So I guess you could say that's something that New Japan has yet to achieve. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, and, and almost no companies are ever really existing on that level because, you know, it, it's not even like Disney can just say, hey, it's a Disney movie. Go see it. You know, it still makes a difference what, what movie it is and what they're doing marketing it towards. And, and so, sort of to,
2: to the opposite end of that, do you make anything of Shibata coming out? He was, he was in uh, Tanahashi's Corner for the G1 fi- Climax Final. Uh, do you make anything of Shibata b- being there? Is is, is he ever going to come back? Is that a hint of like him, him starting to come back or anything like that?
1: Well, he's always said, "I'm going to try to come back." Mm-hmm. So, was was a, was him there being a hint to it? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like him just being there, even if it wasn't a hint, it just added to the moment and made it more. <laughs> I saw some people saying on Twitter, "I really wanted Ibushi to win." But seeing Shibata celebrate with Tanahashi made Tanahashi way more bearable to me. Maybe that's why he was there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. That that he was the the positive. The, the, the crowd can't boo it if 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 someone they love so much is there. Yeah.
1: Well, they yeah. not They weren't going to boo it anyway. But maybe twi- people on Twitter would get upset.
0: Yes, and and though though based on the uh, the catalog or the manual that we were sent, Justin Liger told us that we're supposed to to cheer and boo and stomp our feet. I don't know if you saw
1: that that little diagram he put out. Yeah, I saw it. The like the, the liger one. It was cute. Fusion liger.
0: I liked I liked that a lot, and I thought that was really smart. I thought that was a great example of English language things to make it accessible for anyone coming to the show. Um, do you know anything about this movie? My dad is a heel wrestler, starring Tanahashi.
1: It comes out next month. Go see it.
0: And uh, uh, are you looking? Are are you planning on finding a way to watch this, or do we know if it's going to be accessible through New Japan World or anything?
1: I don't think we know anything about, you know, things like that. Well, there's lots of new Japan wrestlers involved in in some sort of role, so I would hope that they would try to put it on world maybe after it's done being in theaters. I don't know how movie theaters work in Japan, but you know, hopefully we get to see it. Hopefully we get a subtitle version.
0: Yes, obviously. yes, you know, uh, not it, even better than Kalamari wrestler. This is the next next iteration. Um. We just talked about risks for New Japan, and you mentioned, of course, full-scale promotion in the U.S. could backfire. I, I brought up the idea of injuries. Uh, what are big opportunities for New Japan as you look forward here and say they're you're doing something that's are good? Here's an untapped opportunity besides the most obvious one, which is they could become excellent sponsors of, of forums that have 25,000 interested fans like uh, NJPW on Reddit today. Uh, what are some other big opportunities for the company?
1: There's actually one that's kind of been sticking out in my head for a long time, probably since, well, maybe maybe last year. I think that they really need to start amping up with more big shows, big venue shows, especially in Osaka. Osaka has been a great market for them. They sold out the double shot at Ereon Arena, almost 11,000 fans over two days. Both shows were sold out in advance. Dominion sold out also in advance at high ticket prices. I really feel like the market, even though it's the second biggest market for New Japan, is somehow still underserved. And I have said that they should consider running the Osaka Dome. And it's a big venue. They probably wouldn't fill it. But I feel like the market is ready for an attempt at that. Do, do you that, think that's a to baseball Tokyo stadium? Centric? I think. Maybe they're not too Tokyo-centric. I feel like they're just... I think one thing that they've been doing wrong kind of lately is spreading big supercards out a little too much. I think people like, especially Western fans, they get really attracted to the shows with lots of big matches and title matches. And doing shows like the Destruction Tour, which this year for I think the third year in a row, is three separate shows in three different cities... I feel like while that might be a temporary um, increase to attendance, I feel like it kind of dilutes the big show New Japan brand and that they could have maybe two shows because then they're splitting also with the King of Pro Wrestling show that's at Subo Hall in October, which will probably have the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match. So the whole Destruction Tour will be probably without one. Maybe they'll have Omega defend against Yano, which he deserves it. Um so, I think they're diluting cards too much, and I feel like they should promote more big shows that can that can produce new fans. I feel like a, a show with a two title matches in a mid sized city that draws two or th- two or three thousand people that's not a big opportunity for drawing new fans. A show that's in that has lots of title matches in a big venue with maybe ten with ten thousand more fans in cities that aren't Tokyo those provide opportunities to grow the fan base and to get new fans interested.
0: Great analysis. That's really helpful. Um, I'll throw in one opportunity here, and Brandon, I'll turn it to you to throw in one as well. Uh, But the most obvious one is the easiest one. It's been said a billion times. They need an application Mm -hmm. so that you can watch NJPW World on your television that is highly accessible to the Western marketplace. And that's a Roku app. That's console apps. That's not some kind of funny Amazon Fire thing or streaming through a cord on your computer, but just straight up normal accessibility on NGPW world.
1: Do you have an Amazon Fire? Have you used the app?
0: I don't have an Amazon Fire.
1: No. Oh, what have you heard about it? Oh. What just, have you heard about the application?
0: I, I just know it's an option. That that's one part of a solution. I'm just saying it's not the full solution.
1: Oh, well, I feel like I I think Kevin Kelly said more applications are on the way. I've been hearing that for a while now. But apparently it's coming, so I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah, and I, I think they recognize this as a problem. It's been a problem, but they're 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 two years behind the game at this point, is that they, they should have figured this out by now. And you don't need a new leader like May to come in and say, Hey guys, this is important. The moment you're trying to do shows in the United States, you should have been realizing this is a top of mind concern. Yeah, it's, the moment um, you're willing to kick out the money for Chris Jericho, you should have realized this was a top of mind concern.
2: Yeah, it it may seem like a small thing, like I I argue about like friction and how you know when you've got to take you know eight clicks instead of like three clicks to to get the the show going. Uh, I think it raises the threshold about like how hardcore you have to be to like. To go through the trouble of making NGPW World work. Like, I've, in, in my experience watching it, you know, in the last few days, I, I airplay it from an iPad to, to, to an Apple TV, but it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a hassle. And I have, you know, there are some translation stuff going on on NGPW World, but it is a little difficult to navigate and, and figure out just exactly what I'm looking at here. If, if I wasn't like, you know, somebody who, who's familiar with New Japan, it would be even more daunting to me.
1: Yeah, so Kevin Kelly said 2 uh, 2 or 3 weeks ago that Apple TV and Roku apps are top priority at this point. So we'll Good. see.
0: Good. That they should be. Yeah. And it it's, sh- you know, <laughs> 10 dollar analysis would have told you that 3 years ago. So it's 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 foolish to me to have taken this long. And I recognize some of the reasons why because of the ownership structure and because of the way that digital rights are managed in Japan. But it's just one of those where you know, I just see them going in one direction and then swerving and missing so large. It's just shocking to me because it's like if you told someone, hey, Chris Jericho is going to be on this big show, do you want to see him? And they say, sure, what do I got to do? And then you explain to them what they got to do. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to do all that. that that's yeah. ridiculous. I'm not going to let's go to a Japanese website and put my credit card information in.
2: Yeah, it, it may just also, be less trouble to try to find an illegal link or try to find a link on YouTube or whatever.
1: Actually, one more thing I should note I feel like one thing they need to do. Is they need to improve their New Japan World code of conduct, and this is what I mean, because there was an incident yesterday, right after the the second G1 show at the Budokan with Omega versus Ibushi. After Ibushi won, right after the show, there was a big graphic. The first thing you see on New Japan World: mm. Tanahashi versus Ibushi tomorrow. That's a no, because oh, lots like of people were upset. Of it. Yeah. That's correct. They should have waited longer to put that up absolutely because more people were waking up and seeing the show for the first time saying they were spoiled
2: yeah i I did see that like make the front page of reddit was like beware of spoilers on ngpw world today yeah so that was the thing that fans were concerned about
0: yeah and that's a great example of just saying okay i've got an audience that is this big and i have to be concerned about what i'm doing with it and you know you could almost even see it where If they ever developed a true English website, not, and and this was a, a discussion Brandon and I had a while ago, which is a true English website doesn't mean take your Japanese website and put English text over it. It means you actually get an English web designer to put together a website that makes sense to an English user. Much in the same way, a Japanese website should be designed by a Japanese web user to make sense to that audience. And it's, it's more than just language, it's layout, it's design, but it would especially be time zone to think about the fact that, yeah, so many people are going to be coming on this website and they're going to be spoiled, especially on the English side, versus on the Japanese side, maybe it does make sense to use whatever graphics you think are appropriate.
1: I mean, that show last night, it started at 5.30 and it ended at like 8 o'clock in the morning. So maybe stupid fans like me will watch live, but not all the... Not all the fans can be accounted can be counted on to do that, so they run the risk and it's a, they shouldn't need to run the risk,
0: yeah so. absolutely um. And, and again, that's also about understanding your marketplace, where in Japan, maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe, you know, it's spoilers, it's considered news. And so you report news as soon as it happens. But in the United States, people consider it a spoiler because they really do want to be able to watch it for themselves first. Yeah,
2: so. especially when so many people are watching it on a delay They're because of the time difference. They're not up at the crack of dawn to watch it live.
0: And, and that's a small amount of goodwill, but it's the example of like that shows that you're thinking ahead about the goodwill of your viewers and trying to make sure that you you make them feel like they're more of this, this experience rather than, you know, anytime you find yourself driving away from being able to watch things, that's, that's annoying. Mm-hmm. So my last question to you, Evan, uh, do you have a view right now on the health of other Japanese wrestling companies last year or maybe even the beginning of this year? There's a lot of talk about how all Japan had had really begun turning around its attendance numbers and really expanding itself out. And uh, I'm just kind of curious, what is your take as New Japan continues to grow and get bigger year over year? Is this other Japanese companies are also seeing success or are we still seeing the same sort of stagnation or or, uh, decline in some of the other companies?
1: Well, my sheets right now aren't comprehensive. I've kind of been a little bit lazy with them. But I've been tracking attendance for NOAA, All Japan, and Stardom. I feel like those promotions have been pretty much the most classically relevant to to being able to track their business with attendance because something like DDT, their schedule is too sporadic to really benefit from it most of the time. You could count on things like Korokun Shows and stuff like that. And a women's promotion, and I wanted to see how losing their two biggest uh, stars would impact their attendance thus far it seems like they haven't been too effectively that is their attendance is pretty on pace and might even be growing a little bit over last year based on my numbers for the first six months of the year noah is about the same maybe a little bit up what what
0: when we say the same about up what what are they averaging maybe a thousand
1: for the first six months of the year noah drew this is noah 27,403 fans over 53 shows. That's an average of 517 fans per show.
0: 517, okay. And and what was Stardom's number?
1: Stardom, first six months of the year, 16,698 fans over 37 shows. Average 451.
0: Okay, so a little bit smaller than NOAA, but both in that same sort of 400, 500 person league. Okay.
1: Then All Japan, first six months of the year, 43,000 434 attendees over 65 shows average 668
0: and and uh, would that put them on pace similar to how they were doing last year
1: in terms of the average it's a little bit up and they're on pace to grow again both of their quarters have grown pretty significantly they'll grow again this year by a steady rate not as much of a meteoric growth as they had from 2016 to 2017 but it's growth nonetheless.
0: So they, they not only stabilized, they didn't lose their momentum, but they're they're still continuing to grow at a, a normal rate, which is good. Good for Japanese. So it sounds like in general, the rest of the Japanese wrestling um, uh, culture there is not necessarily in decline, is not necessarily exploding. But even with the loss of some of these big stars or injuries or other things, we're still seeing them um, maintain or grow a little bit.
1: Yeah. All Japan was the fastest growing promotion by percentage last year. I feel like it will be new Japan this year. And then and I'm very excited. Also, there's one thing that I should note. I'm very excited about this. Dragon Gate announced they're going to start giving real attendance figures.
0: I was going to ask. So Dragon Gate's a really interesting one where you can talk about the loss of, you know, some key people and injuries and things, uh, that, that might be influencing them as, as, uh, Shima has gone over to, uh, uh, OWE in in China and uh, just kind of the changes that are going on there. So uh, Dragon Gate announced that they're going to start giving out true numbers. Really? Was that a, a press release or something?
1: I don't remember exactly who said it. I feel like it was Striga who reported it. I don't know his source. But all I know is that it seems to be true. Since the Corican Hall show they had um, five days ago. Because this was one of the uh, the running gags of Dragon Gate. Every Korokin Hall show drew exactly 1,850 fans, ah. which which not only was preposterously um, consistent, but likely impossible, because the highest attendance that New Japan has gotten at Korokin since they started giving real numbers three years ago was 1,806 fans. That was for, actually, Shinsuke Nakamura's departing show. And since then, they average about 1,700... Well, they don't average that, but... Their top end is about at the 1750 range, so 1850 was not only unlikely, but incredibly consistent to the point of being impossible. So, well, the maybe, last one maybe, they drew 1565, which is much more reasonable. I guess it's it true that they're pretty real numbers. numbers.
0: Well, isn't there the like the big, um, like a uh, you know the, there's like the Japanese women's uh, singing group that is like 50 people big that, that that like the pop idols that happens every year maybe they attend every single dragon gate show you're talking, so about, where those,
1: you're talking about those you're talking AKB48 something like that yeah
0: yeah yeah so they come to every dragon gate show and that's where those 50 extra people come every single time
1: yeah i guess the first thing we heard about this in terms of the dragon gate was the Kobe World show on uh, July 22nd which previous to this point they've they announced some ridiculous number that's impossible for the venue to the point of being absurd. Like I think Kobe world Memorial hall is maybe in the 6,000, 7,000 seat range at the most. They announced 9,800 fans or 9,900 fans last year. And this year they announced 4,952, which seems almost too real.
0: It reminds me a lot. I've been, I talk about this a lot on the show is I, I listen to this great podcast done by um, uh, international wrestling and, and uh, Bahu. And they talk about uh, FMW and you kind of see the transition of you know somewhat real numbers from FMW to absolutely the fakest of the fake numbers, and it's the same thing where you know they're in a building that holds ten thousand people, and they will announce twelve thousand people, and really there were six thousand people there, and it's just like it, it, it's it's a long-term thing in professional wrestling to make up your numbers. And so, this
1: is the this is the reason why I believe that that uh, work attendance is. The devil, because this is what happens: you report work tenants and then someone decides, oh, they're going to start reporting real attendance. So everybody then decides that they need to do that also, and then people think, why? Why are the companies so much smaller now? When Kenta Kobashi's retirement show supposed a supposed seventeen thousand fans, and here's New Japan at the at the uh, G One Final, drawing twelve thousand one hundred fans, and that's a sellout, and it was a sellout from the looks of me. There were pretty much no empty seats, so. I yeah. guess it shows what's real and what's not. And now everybody who everybody who was there before, is a liar.
0: Well, it's it's very hard, you know. It's it's Silverdome will uh, haunt wrestling uh, historians till the day they die. Yeah, so I, I, I will. I will
2: say, like knowing you know, this year they're going to the Budokan for the last three nights. I expected. I mean, I didn't expect sixteen thousand, which is what all the. All the the '90s, all Japan, Budokan attendance numbers are reported as like a sellout of sixteen thousand people. I know I expected like thirteen, fourteen thousand, and to see the you know the sellout was twelve thousand, which is only a, a couple thousand higher than what they were doing at the Sumo Hall.
1: Yeah, um, I did. Um, I looked at a seating chart for the Budokan, and my calculation was thirteen thousand three hundred forty-eight seats. Mm-hmm. I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to see how the layout differs where there's less but overall i feel like i guess we know what the real capacity is in that 12 to thirteen thousand range whatever it may be
2: i I guess just thinking about what the show looked like they probably blocked off some seats with with their setup which is like if i think back to what all japan in the 90s the budokan looked like it was a super minimal setup like you know there's no entrance way they were coming out through the hallway or whatever so maybe the setup took out a lot of seats
1: well no one used to do the thing where they'd have a small stage in the middle. I think it was a very all-Japan thing when they just when they'd like, they just have two walkways diagonal to the ring, mm-hmm. and they just come out and they'd be just walking next to fans, and there would be no stage at all. They just walk out through a door or something like that. Right. It was a pretty Noah-style stage, except a little bit more flashy and with no ramp that connects directly to the ring.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, speaking of Noah, I wanted to talk about this. I guess I'll talk about it here first, and maybe tweet about it later. How ticket prices for the G1 final were very high. The ringside seats started at thirty thousand yen, which is about maybe two hundred and seventy dollars, which is normal, and that's what they did last year also. But the cheap seats in the second floor, they were there were none less except for a standing room. They were none less than nine thousand yen, which for Japanese standards, which is about eighty dollars, is pretty expensive for cheap seats. And I found out I went through some old uh, archives to find ticket prices for old NOAA shows. And those were much longer, uh, much uh, lower. Cheap seats for a typical NOAA show when they used to run the Budokan pretty much every two or three months, they were cheap seats were 3,000 yen, which is like $25, which is very cheap. And even the um, final burning in Budokan, Kenta Kobashi's retirement show, even that, ticket prices for that were less than that of the G1 final this year. Mm-hmm. So this might be the highest gate for a pro wrestling show at the Budokan ever. I don't have like WWE house show t- uh, ticket prices, so I can't say that for sure. But it seems fairly likely to me that this was the highest grossing Budokan show for wrestling ever.
0: And that's a big thing to mention too, yeah. And, th- that, and, that, and that
2: would account for inflation, right? Because the, the Japanese yen hasn't really changed much in value over over the last decade. Is that right? As far as I know when I've looked into that? That's correct.
1: Yeah. Its value is pretty much flat. Hmm. from my understanding
0: well speaking of value I will again plug that uh, uh, people can go on the, the Patreon and they can hear our, our breakdown of the balance sheet for New Japan and uh, I imagine we the, uh, the work that we've done on collecting these balance sheets off the New Japan website translating them and getting them up uh, that's going to kind of be uh, shared with the community here at the end of today so you'll probably be able to find these also somewhere else on the internet uh, and check them out uh, Evan where can people follow you on Twitter? How can people interact with you on the Reddit page?
1: Okay. My Twitter handle is EvanDeadlySinsW. And my, Reddit, uh, my subreddit for New Japan Pro Wrestling is reddit.com slash r slash njpw. Subscribe now.
0: And uh, anything else you want to plug or anything else you're excited about that uh, people should go out of their way to watch or people should go out of the way to uh, experience?
1: Um, I suppose nothing on my part. I guess I'll plug uh, Chris Charlton because, again, he was the announcer for the G1 final and a couple other G1 shows. I've got, I have both of his books. I've yet to read Eggshells, but I plan to, and maybe I'll tweet about it once I do.
0: And uh, I'm in the middle of reading Eggshells right now. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I actually just bought a uh, Kindle Voyage. Uh, this week, just so I could do better job at reading some of these books that I, I have copies of, including Eggshells and the uh, the WCW Nitro uh, book, and uh, my my friend Brian Ferris's book called 86th which uh, I, I'm also going to do a cheap plug for right now. Brandon, mm. uh, what what can people see or do with you?
2: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. Oh, just about Eggshells though. Too. I've been listening to the podcast that Chris Charlton has been doing through Post Wrestling, and those are very informative as well. But yeah.
0: And uh, I'm on Twitter at Mukigana, and uh, on the Patreon show, not only did we go over the NJPW balance sheet, but we're going to go through some lawsuits. We're going to talk about Colt Cabana suing CM Punk. Mm -hmm. We're going to explain what's going on with that. I got a a lawyer to break it all down for me. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Tribune suing Sinclair. And uh, the merger that was, was not. And uh, a billion-dollar lawsuit being filed this week. And we'll probably touch a little bit about All In and uh, some other exciting stuff going on. But uh, Evan, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for talking. Um, this is always fun to kind of uh, check in on, on New Japan's health and also get a read from somebody who's spending a lot of time thinking about them every single day and where the, what they're doing right and what they can do better. Yeah, thank you so thinking much. Thinking
1: about them every single day, now I feel kind of sad. <laughs> I feel like I'm too much of a diehard.
0: Oh, we're all we're all people of our own special ilk here <laughs> on WrestleNomics Radio. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.